0: Hey, welcome to the Yisod Blocks podcast, and this is episode 18 of the Nefshaheim series. Yisod Blocks is a channel, if you've never been here before, that is dedicated to trying to discuss Torah concepts in a way that is integrated, uh, transformational, really sort of designed to transform your whole perception of Torah, of yourself, of existence, of, you know, the whole universe. And that's what the overall brand is about. That's what Yisod Blocks is for, Building Blocks. And uh, in this particular series, you're in the Nefshahim series right now, episode 18 of that series, this is going to be chapter 9.2. We're finishing chapter 9 in the first section of Nefshahim right now. And what we've been talking about uh, overall is sort of like how there's this network of um, consciousness fragments that is scattered throughout this gigantic uh, system, which you can call the universe. And each of us is a consciousness fragment, all kind of like... uh, connected to to each other and also to the source consciousness which is the central you know call it consciousness central and each of us is a sort of like this hub that really channels that source consciousness through us into existence into the universe um, or into the physical universe we'll say um, and so we we're in the last couple chapters talking about this Concept of something called the kruvim, which are these statues on top of the aron, this closet container that's inside of the mishkan. The mishkan is what B'nai Israel had inside of the desert um, when they were after they left Egypt, and the mishkan was kind of like this, this con this construct literally a building that was containing or sort of referencing um, like a house for Hashem, the endless one, the source consciousness that we call Hashem. And so inside of that house, there was the most intimate space, the bedroom. Uh, also known as the Kodesh in the area that was the most dedicated to the relationship. So in general, whenever we use the word kadosh, so the word kadosh usually is translated as holy, and the word holy made it pretty big in other, in just in religions and in thought systems and in just regular, uh, you know, words people use. In culture, the word holy is used quite a bit. Uh, but the word holy uh, is supposed to be a translation of the word kadosh, but it's not a very good translation of the word kadosh because the word kadosh actually means dedicated and as a rule when you say something as kadosh in the context of the torah and the context of what people mean when they say holy it means dedicated to hashem and so what it refers to is us people being dedicated to hashem never losing sight of who we are and how we are really a part of this story and we are channeling hashem's conscious presence into being into the physical finite universe through this system that we are a part of and so when you are dedicated to that, that's when you become most fully alive because you're able to sort of actualize your inner self in a way that now shines out as a beacon into the physical world. And you really feel like you're being fully you, fully alive, fully you know self-connected as opposed to living somebody else's life, copying other people, feeling insecure, getting confused about who you are and why you're here. So that's what Kadosh means, dedicated to Hashem. And so this part of the uh, building of the Mishkan that we call the Kodesh HaKadoshim means the space that is the most intensely distilled uh, essence of being dedicated to Hashem. And so inside of that space, that little central room in the Mishkan, there was a container that inside of the container was all these different remnants of uh, the interaction that we had with Hashem at... Mount Sinai, Harsinai, Harsinai was the mass Nivua, meaning the mass consciousness experience of the entire people of Bene Israel. It was so powerful that actually spread to the rest of the world in certain ways also. And so we built, that. we have this container that contains the, uh, like the result of that, sort of like the testimony of that event. Those things are called the Luchos. And then on top of the Aron, what we've been talking about the last couple of episodes, is these statues called the Kruvim, and these Kruvim are like two different... Oh, they, people probably call them angels in regular English. It's two statues with wings, and they look like kind of like childish, childlike innocence somehow in the way that their faces were carved. And they face each other, and their wings sort of cover and hover over the Aron, the container that they're on top of, and uh, they're supposed to be shielding the Aron in some way, which is a longer discussion of what the point of that is. And those statues face each other, and they even embrace And they're embracing, sort of like reflects the very intimate connection that exists between us and and Hashem. And then what the previous section that we were talking about uh, was describing is that the statues would actually change their position depending on how dedicated, how focused, how connected we are, allowing our consciousness to be relative to Hashem, the ultimate consciousness. And so the more connected you are, the more the people of B'nai Yisrael were operating in the wavelength of connection to Hashem. So then the more the statues would face each other. And then there was this discussion in the first half of chapter 9 about how um, later on the statues that were added to the base of Mikdash, to the temple of Bene Israel, it went, once it was uh, moved from the desert into Israel. So that temple had also a central room called, called the Kodesh HaKadashim. And inside of that room there was also a closet, like the one we're talking about, an Aron, a container with Kruvim on top. And we had one set, we had the, and they would face each other, but now the, what the Gemara said that we saw... Uh, in the previous episode was that the Kruven would actually not face, face each other fully the way they did in the desert. they would face slightly, slightly to the sides um, because they, they' were meant to reflect. that now we cannot be fully focused on Hashem and dedicating ourselves only to consciousness channeling uh, because we also have to make sure that our bodies didn't die. And so we had to also spend some time investing in actual physical sustenance and physical development so that we could continuously evolve and continuously thrive on the physical side of things to maintain and even to um, enhance the consciousness channeling that we were here to do. So that's what we did until now. Then we ended off with a question which the Nefshah asked here where he asked, it it makes sense to say that we would have to turn away a little bit from Hashem towards the physical development side of existence in order to stay alive and to maintain and even enhance this process. So I understand why one of the statues would be turning slightly away from the other one because uh, that's exactly what needs to happen. That one statue that's turning away is now focusing on things in addition to its connection with Hashem. So it reflects our need to turn slightly away to actually also involve ourselves in other aspects of our being. But why would the second statue also turn slightly to the side in the same way? That's a little strange because Hashem's not changing his uh, his involvement or his his dynamic with us, just that we need to do that because we have to invest in our bodies. But like that doesn't make so much sense that Hashem would also in parallel have to do that. That was the question we ended off with, asking why the second statue also turned to the side. So then he goes on to explain. We're now on page Bet 32 uh, in the classic edition, and that's uh, Shaar Aleph, which is the first section of the whole book. There's four sections. Pericet, chapter 9, and this is 9.2, because it's the second half of the chapter 9 reading that we're doing now. And he writes, He says, but the issue is actually what we've already written until now. In other words, we can explain this, the answer to this question by returning to a concept we already illustrated, and this is going to fit into that earlier concept. Because Hashem's connection with all the layers of existence, and all the forces of existence, the and all the ways that those layers and forces interrelate with each other, so Hashem's connection to all of that, and also all the ways that Hashem operates in His relationship with us as part of that system, as we are the consciousness hubs inside of that system, So Hashem's relationship with all those elements is a function of our behavior and our... Um, intensity towards him. In other words, um, to sort of say that we're going to turn a little bit away from Hashem in order to uh, take care of ourselves is something which is fine. In fact, it's necessary. But there's an automatic intrinsic shift in the overall interaction between Hashem and us then from his side as well, because Hashem is not just doing his thing mindlessly or in some way that is not part of a, a system of cause and effect. In other words, Hashem sort of set it up that according to our Intensity, what he calls *shirat um, means the amount of movement, um, sort of like the dy- dynamism of our relationship with Hashem. and the awakeness, the excitement, the the general interest and drive towards Hashem that comes towards Hashem from our actions down below. Down below here is an analogy, meaning like in the more ta- like uh, down, down below is always an analogy for tangible side of existence, physical being. So, as opposed to the more intangible elements and layers, which is you know emotions and thoughts, and then ultimately consciousness at its purest form. So, our actions on the physical, finite level, they actually um, are, are actions that reflect our own genuine interest and connection to Hashem. And so, the more that they intensify, so then the more it's going to cause Hashem to sort of relate to us similarly. <laughs> And so according to that amount that we are behaving towards Hashem in that way, there will be this, like, mishtal shel, like this this um, chain reaction, this like this process of, this, really a process of translation of Hashem's being towards us according to the same amounts, and you'll get sort of like these positive outcomes from Hashem towards you as a result. And therefore, also the kruv, the other statue that, that refers and hints towards Hashem's side of the relationship, they also had to be uh, positioned slightly to the side according to the exact amount that our uh, is also facing to the side they had to reflect each other exactly for that exact reason so in other words Hashem is basically mirroring us as we discussed that Hashem mirrors us that the way that we behave is sort of like the gateway so just as an analogy if you're in a relationship with somebody and you want them to share more with you, you have to behave in a way that, uh, that allows them to experience you as a person who is safe to share with. In other words, when you open yourself up to them to receive what it is that they're sharing, they will then open themselves up to you to let out what's inside towards you. So essentially you can think of it as like, to what degree are you Um, open to the other person in the relationship. And the openness that you generate inside yourself towards the other person is a function of your actual interest in them. So if you're very interested in another person, then you will be able to make that very clear by showing them, hey, I'm interested, and look how open I am. I keep asking you questions. I'm trying to understand you. I'm, I'm thinking about you. You know, I'm buying you presents. And so when you do that, so then if the other, so that, 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 that's, that's what lays down the groundwork for the other person to then open themselves towards you and similarly now begin to behave towards you in that same way from a place of genuine interest because you've shown them that that's where you're at. So that's really what we're talking about here, this reflective process between us and Hashem. Haggah. This, this, this is what's going to uh, help us understand a statement in the Talmud and the Gemara in uh, the ninth chapter of a Shabbos. Um, so this this part basically is going to help us unlock what the Talmud is talking about here. So the Talmud says, So you have this this person who's speaking in the Talmud. What does it mean when it says in the text of one of the parts of the Bible of Tanakh uh, is called Shir Shirim. It's one of the Megillas that we read. It was written by uh, Shlomo HaMelech, and it's supposed to be one of the most um, pure and, and sort of like... It's called. It's called the deepest, the deepest expression of what the Torah is actually about. Shirashirim Shirim is essentially supposed to be some kind of like a song, uh, and it's written about a couple that are sort of searching for each other, chasing each other, trying to find each other. Uh, one gets lost. There's other people that are getting in the way. It's sort of like this, you know, romantic love story of this couple, and it's an analogy for Hashem and Bnei Israel. And it's and it's called by Rabbi Akiva in the Gemara. It's called um, Kodesh HaKadashim, meaning like the most dedicated the most central the most internal the deepest expression of what the Torah and its entire system is actually about so that's because the Torah and all of the, the whole all of life is really a gigantic love story which is obviously a longer discussion of what exactly that means but that's what Shira is about so inside of that story so so Rabbi Khanina here is asking when the text of that of that section of Tanakh speaks and says this as says, it's like an apple. Um, so my beloved is like an apple in the, uh, in the trees of the forest. So it asks, so he asks, um, Why are B'nai Yisrael um, uh, compared to an apple? And there's a commentary on the Talmud there that asks a question about that statement. Because Rabbi K'chama says that B'nai Yisrael is compared to an apple. And it says, it says like you know, like an apple in the forest. So, so Rabbi Chama says it's talking about us, about B'nai Yisrael. So Tosfos asks there. He says, who's that? Refer- like, how does that make sense? He says, That 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 that, Pasuk, that verse, is not talking about B'nai Yisrael. It's talking about Ela It's talking about Hashem. So is my beloved amongst the boys. In other words, since the amongst the sons, because since Hashem is referred to as the male in in Shir predominantly, so. It's clearly referring to Hashem. So why is it saying that... So, so the Torah is asking, how could the Gemara think that that statement is talking about B'nai Yisrael when it's clearly talking about Hashem? So so the Nef Shachem is going to try to solve that problem. Based on what we wrote until now, so we can explain now why it refers to B'nai Yisrael, why the Gemara thinks that the, the, the apple analogy is referring to B'nai Yisrael. Because once we as B'nei Yisrael, we perceive Hashem as as, as an analogy, like an apple. That would only make sense based on the idea that B'nei Yisrael themselves are also similar to and compared to an apple. And the way that we sort of appear to Hashem So too, Hashem is not going to relate to existence in the same manner. So if we are appearing towards Hashem like an apple, whatever it means to be like an apple, there's a few different elements to that analogy, but whatever that means, so if we appear towards Hashem like an apple, then Hashem is going to also operate towards us in the same way. That's why um, Rabbi Chama is saying... Oh, why are B'nei Israel compared to an apple? Because since the text says that Hashem is like an apple, it implies automatically that B'nei Israel is also like an apple in some kind of fundamentally similar way. According to that exact amount, whatever the amount that we are, that's how Hashem is going to relate back to us. Therefore, Avichama asks, In what way uh, in what elements um, has B'nei Israel been compared in their actions to an apple? Such that they would now perceive Hashem similarly, like he is also an apple on the same analogical level. So that's exactly what we just said. So but basically, the point here is that that same parallelism, that same mirroring takes place, and this Gemara is another proof for that concept uh, based on textual proofs. And those textual proofs are quite compelling, and it's, it's especially interesting once you also know what those texts are referring to. And therefore, at the time when the sea was split, was torn open, that's in the story in the Torah when B'nai Yisrael was leaving Egypt. So Hashem ripped open the, the ocean, uh, the sea. It, called, it's called Yamsuf. It's this sea that's between uh, Egypt and and the rest of Israel, essentially. So Hashem had to sort of split that open and let them pass through in a very famous story of Hashem splitting the ocean. So Amar Hugis Moshe, so at that time Hashem said to Moshe, why are you yelling to me, Moshe? In other words, Moshe was presumably talking to Hashem, trying to convince him to do something. And Hashem's response was, Why are you yelling? Just tell B'nai Israel to start moving. Tell him they have to start journeying towards the sea. What he wanted to say was that he was trying to convey to Moshe Hashem was, Hashem was trying to tell Moshe it's actually on them they have to do something and if they are sort of like fully invested in their in their loyalty and trust in me and, and in our relationship and they would start to move towards the ocean the sea and they, they can just they can sort of rely on their on their hearts and there's no reason to have any any problem or any any fear of what's happening based on their complete trust that the ocean is going to actually be split open, torn open in front of them, And through that trust and that dedication and that loyalty, that will lead to a parallel amount of, of awakening, of, of investment and of, and of dedication from from the from above, meaning from the deeper side of existence coming through from Hashem, and then Hashem will then do this massive event and they'll suddenly see Hashem sort of manifesting through this and he'll tear open the ocean in front of them. So that's why Hashem said to Moshe, stop asking me to do it, just sort of behave as if it's just gonna happen and then it's going to. So this is also a famous concept in, uh, in larger writings Of the torah and the medrash and it's also something which made it pretty big into like affirmation psychology and a lot of positive thinking ideas in more modern mainstream self-help areas which is kind of like if you want something to happen in your life then prepare for it in other words behave as if it's going to happen and that will sort of attract it to you so whether that kind of just in a basic psychological level you know is that is that true well our general perception of minds and thinking is that we just think things in our head and then somehow like magically it just does these things. But the Torah's claim is actually that thoughts and all of, the, all of the areas of mind and of interest and willpower are all deeply, not just intertwined, they're extensions of a much deeper underlying intangible system and set of truths that are going on beneath the surface. And so when you think things and when you want things and when you focus on things inside of your mind, that's actually deeply connected to a much larger ocean of consciousness. And so you're actually leading, you're causing ripples to ripple through the entire consciousness network and they're rippling all the way to the source consciousness. And that literally leads to reactionary ripples back towards you that's really what this whole concept of, of, you know, what's called also the law of attraction. These are ideas that are predicated on the assumption that your th- thoughts and that your um, your wantings and desires and willpower are all intangibles that are somehow linked to a much larger intangible system. And by the way, there is uh, a lot of scientific evidence for that to be true, uh, so it's just important to sort of realize that as well. But basically, that's what we're talking about here, that this is the system that we are a part of. See, this is also another line from Shirashiram, when it says here, you've been compared to my, to, uh, my horse, and my horse that's among the, the ridings, in other words, the horses that were ridden upon uh, in Paro's horse army. So Paro is the pharaoh, is the leader of Egypt. So he had all these horses. So here we're saying you're, in Shira Shirem, you're compared to a horse. So who is compared to a horse? means to say, means to say, because in the example of, this, of the horses of Paro, things went there the opposite of the norm of how they usually work. What happened over there? Usually in the world, the rider leads the horse. But with Paro and his horses, the, the horse was actually leading the rider. The The rider was just getting taken along for the ride. The horse was the one running the show. Like, like um, the sages said also in the Medrash, similar to the Talmud, they wrote... Um, they describe how the horses essentially are the ones running the show they're they're just going according to their own ideas and the riders were carried along helpless so similarly so similarly i have compared you uh, in exactly the same way so we're going to see who we're talking about in a second um even though the eye and the one who's sort of riding above all of the the we'll call it the confused morass the mixture of all of the of all physical existence right the whole consciousness network that we're talking about and and the entire system of the universe so hashem who is the source consciousness is sort of like above all that or beyond all that so he's riding on top of that that's what still you are leading me through your actions in other words you b'nei israel are like my horse but not just my regular horse what hashem is saying is B'nai israel is like his horse but not like his, re- not like a regular horse, but like a horse in the richvei Paro, like the horses that Paro would actually, that Paro actually had in his, in his troop when he was getting uh, pulled into the ocean, and he was basically being forced to just follow whatever the horse said. So what Hashem is saying is, even though I ride above everything, you're like my horse, but the horse of Paro, such that I am now pulled along based on whatever you do. That whatever you do, you're you lead me, man osi, based on your actions. his because the way that I Hashem connect to existence, towards the existence, that's only going to be a function of your intensity and your investment uh, to which direction it is turning and in what way it is being uh, expended. That's what it says in the Torah, rides the heavens with your help. Also what it says in the Talmud elsewhere, in Masechah Shabbos and other places, that, the, that, the, that your service, or the things that you do, essentially, your actions, Avodah means things that you do. Things that you do is something which is which is very necessary for the above. In other words, just to sort of finish off the point, what we're saying here is that the things that you do here, and the ways that you live, and the things that you want, and the ways you express them, in other words, the totality of you as a consciousness fragment that now essentially transmits and translates itself from complete intangibleness, which is the you, the self, through layers of, of perceptions and thoughts and emotions and physical actions and neurological expression into the physical world, that entire translation process is all part of the avoda. That's now you essentially doing things inside of a changing physical setting. And when you do that, that's all part of what's called Sorech Gavoa. This is something which is necessary. In other words, necessary for the above. What's the above? Again, it's an analogy for that which is beyond. It's the total consciousness that is manifest beyond all being. Um, not just manifest, but that is, beyond, that is all being and beyond. It's the source consciousness, and you're a fragment of that. So when you do that, so then you're now actually allowing that Source Consciousness to be manifest into the physical universe through you. And that is something which is of great necessity. Hashem set up this system in such a way that now has hit the way for that Source Consciousness to flow into existence and sort of fill existence with ever-expanding knowledge and connection and consciousness is through us, through these doorways of consciousness fragments that is each person. Actually what this is all about, the whole system of existence is about creating doorways through each of us to allow for our larger, higher, more total self to flow into being and create ever greater amounts of self-consciousness, self-awareness, and therefore connection between each of the fragments to ultimately reveal that all these fragments are part of one giant story, one giant truth. So that's basically what he's trying to say here. In the next chapter, we're going to continue to develop this concept a little further and start to see more practically how it plays out. Hope that was relatively clear and you enjoyed that. Looking forward to seeing you in episode 19.